bunbun tabik ta drompa. Shomo ta pöpel, fat drompa fat shraf, tis pöpel bik ta trosh. Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me in Wisconsin is William Annis. Hello. And over in New Jersey, experiencing some severe weather is Mike Lentine. Oh, and yes, we are. Yeah, uh, Mike may drop out, and you may hear uh, thunder periodically from his his point. I will try to to get the rain noise out of the, the podcast, but you may hear something. Uh, I'll also try to keep the microphone muted when I'm not speaking, so maybe the, you know, won't go over other people. I like yeah. the idea that, that the gods of thunder, you know, have opinions about constructed languages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thor, is appro- Thor approves. Or disapproves. We, it's kind of hard to tell with thunder. Uh, yeah. Um, before we get started, I kind of want to talk about a weird linguistic encounter I had. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I, so, I've been working at a gas station for a few months. I only have two more days to work there before yes. I quit and get ready to, to move to Wisconsin. But um, I've uh, been working night shift and, you know odd people come in on night shift and one night this guy came in uh, he'd come in earlier but he came came in again and he was asking about his uh i think seven dollars that he lost but his pronunciation of dollars sounded to me like uh dockers really i swear i heard a stop in there either it was a k or like a glottal stop or a glottal fortified k or something but it threw me off so much that another customer had to translate for him <laughs> was the speaker a native english speaker a he native was speaker a native english speaker he was you know uh you know older um like 40 something white guy from the area so i presume it's just something idiosyncratic to him. I was, I've been trying to get into, uh, Dictionary of American Regional English to look it up, uh, just before the podcast, but I can't, uh, I don't think I have access to it. But, um, hmm. anyway, that was a little weird to me. Uh, I that guess, I guess if you carried L darkening into intervocalic position, that, that change could occur. But I'm not sure what else would would cause that to happen. Yeah, I don't know. That's some weird kind of fortition going on there. Yeah. Um, I mean, normally I expect super dark L to just turn into a W and give up on the the lateral altogether. Yeah, and I think that happens here once in a while. Um, I I I've heard myself um say the name of my hometown as Elkins in, Elkins or instead Elkins, of Elkins instead of Elkins. Mm. What was the difference again? I couldn't. Uh, there was El- some thunder. It's oh. pretend you're speaking Portuguese. Elkins. Uh, ah, yeah. I understand. Like a like um like the Polish bard L. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh. But 
Anyway, or at least uh, sometimes I do some rounding on it, but uh, I don't know that the K is a little weird, uh, especially in the middle of dollar there. Anyway, right. so... Well, maybe maybe he'd been exposed to Icelandic and stuck a T in there. <laughs> uh, except, that, anyway. except that would produce Dottler. If any other... If any other listeners know of an American dialect that does that, then uh, maybe let us know. It just seems weird to me. Um, so, let's move on and actually talk about what we're here to talk about today. And that would be a language of Papua New Guinea, the uh, most linguistically dense area in the world. And Hooray. the language is quote. So, yep. according to our, gram- our grammar here, um, it's uh, it's classified as a family-level isolate in the New Britain stock of the East Papuan fi- phylum. I think um, New Britain is like a province, but it's spoken in New or Ireland province, actually. Yeah. But um, and not by very many people. When this grammar was written in the 80s, it only had 2,000 or so speakers, I believe. Right. It, it, it may be dead by now, for all we know. Um, um, well, I think it, not in that time frame, but... Actually, um, no, Wikipedia actually doesn't say. No. They have a date. They, they give numbers, but they don't know what the dating on it is, so... So, uh, we don't know. We don't know how healthy it is right now, but... Uh, there is a lot of interesting grammar stuff that goes on here. I actually did read the grammar beforehand. Yay. It's uh the the particular grammar that we're we're um covering, it's a sil grammar. Um it seems very, very much like um sort of a syntax sketch of stuff, but it does have some other information on it. Yeah, I mean, this is very classic layout for a syllable grammar. First of all, you'll see reference to tag mimics, which is their own special branch of linguistic theory, which I don't fully understand. Um, mm-hmm. And they tend to have a standard grammar layout, which, frankly, I'm fine with because it often involves examples of interesting things. So mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff, subtle stuff you might care about is likely to get documented by accident. What is so? <laughs> So the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which is a, a missionary organization, oh, right. who go out and document these languages so they can translate the Bible. Yes. Oh. And do missionary work. And they make the, very often make a lot of their material freely available. So a great right, resource. Freely available. For, yes, freely available. Great resource for missionaries and conlangers. Yes, yes. They also make some, uh, some software that a few conlangers like. But, um, right. And a few free fonts for Unicode stuff because of the stuff they need to cope with. I'm the one who put quote on the list because it has this majestic verb system we'll be talking about later. That's mm-hmm. a great adjective for it. It is. It's astonishing and wonderful. Yes. Um, what things that I was looking at specifically was, um, well, the the uh, the phonology is interesting, especially in so much as there's so many different alternations going on, and you there. There's a whole section in here on um, on uh, the um, sort of phonological processes, yep. I what mm-hmm. they call. And the, there's some 
there's uh, some morphophonemic stuff going on with it. Where, um, for instance, in the possessive markers, all of the possessive markers, there's suffixes that start with uh, a T sound. But it becomes a... a uh, is it... Um, flap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a flap. Ra. Be- yeah. After after a morpheme ending in a vowel. Right, so some sort of lenition or something. Yeah. Um, it's not all of the possessive markers, just the ones that start with T. Okay, not not all of them. There's yeah. there's just some that start with T. Okay, I, I was... Yeah. Um, but, um, and there is also a voicing rule that I find really interesting, actually, that um, the... Uh, so there are several suffixes that start with vowels that will cause voicing on a preceding um a preceding stop but two interesting things is that p instead of becoming b it becomes the the v the um bilabial pro- approximate or mm-hmm. bilabial uh fric- fricative rather yeah yeah um uh and the other thing is that it occurs uh, before these vowels, but does not occur before voice consonants. So it's sort of an interesting sort of why does it do that? So it sure smells to me like lenition. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is sort of lenition, especially when you consider that you have one of the. It may be a lenition system that's that's. In progress, because you have... Well, I, I don't mean lenition in the same sense that it, it... In Welsh or something. I mean it more in the sense of some just sort of internal process of lenition. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In certain environments. Not mm-hmm. not full-on, full-court Celtic lunacy. No. 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 It wouldn't <laughs> have to be like that, but... Uh... The, um, I liked that the phoneme inventory was pretty small and tidy, um, although it does have rather a lot of allophonic variation in some sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the vowels, yeah. especially, have a wide range of yeah. The, it's basically a vowel, uh, a um, a, uh, a a five vowel system, but with so much variation that it would sound much more complex when you were yeah. hearing yeah. it. Yes, I, the, yes. The first the first field linguist was probably tearing out their hair a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think it says there are twelve allophones for the phone for the five vowel phonemes. Yes, I mean two yes. of them are fake, right? Because between other vowels, U is is effectively a W, and I is effectively a yeah a, a Y, a glide rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm reading the the small number of IPA examples properly, but even without that, that's still effectively two. Yeah. I think I think some of their IPA in here is a little non-standard. I think it's a little bit more Americanist than IPA-ish, but whatever. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, um, it has the, and it has like the, uh, the bilabial fricatives, but they can, the, they can become the, um, uh, what am I saying? They, <laughs> they alternate with the labial dental fricatives. Yes. So fuh can become fuh. So. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing, but moving on, there's so much more interesting stuff other than the phonology to talk about. Um, <laughs> William, you have a bunch of notes here. 
The, yeah, just a, we can go before we get to the verb, just a random collection of interesting stuff and random facts. First, it has VSO word order. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and as often in VSO word orders, a common alternate word order is to front the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you get subject focus, but it uses relative clause marking as well. Yes, I noticed that the, the, that there's a marking along with the, the sub, subject focus. Right. Is it, is it the same as relative clauses? It is, in fact, the same particle used to mark relative clauses. Okay, because when I was so you reading can, the grammar... You can very the, the... entertainingly find um, a sentence with the word twice, once where it's doing subject focus and once where it's doing relative clause, and it's effectively doing chaining relative clauses. That's that's interesting. I guess I wasn't reading closely enough, because in the grammar, they they call them two different things. They call it right, a but subject they are focus s- marker. But they are, they are the same sounding word. Yeah. Mm. Um, you said big equals loud. Right, that's I just awesome. thought that... Uh, it was neat. I saw that on page five where they talked about somebody who, mm-hmm. um, what a hilarious example sentence. His face looks like a pig. <laughs> Sorry. I just, and that has, yeah, that's example 29 and that has subject focus. Uh, yes. So this man speaks louder than a bird is literally, you know, this man speaks bigger than a bird. So I just like that. It's a little bit of lexical thing that we had talked about uh, a few, several weeks ago now. Um, There's some clever things going on with having a zero copula um, for for stative verbs. Um, You don't have an overt copula. Um, You use, once again, the subject focus marker to do very fun things. So like the stones are on the table is stones, subject focus, on table. Right. And that's it. No verb. Um, mm. But it has an interesting thing. Example 41 talks about the difference between this man, he is a man, and he is a man. So um, I have no idea where the, accent, the stress accent is supposed to go on this. Um, irie migana means this man. Mm. Irie la migana is he is a man. And migana la irie is he is a man. Hmm. So obviously the uh it's the the focus yeah is at the front. Yeah, you you're moving the focus rather than uh using prosody as English does. Right. Right. Um and um, and, and you still have to use la the the subject focus marker because even though it's not properly a verb you still need something there. Mhm. It's interesting to see the change when you on example 40 it says migana idie is he is a man. And then right. when you flip him it's this man. And then mm-hmm. when you have that same word order as this man with the la in the middle, it's what you just said, and yes. I flipped one with the la in the middle. Right. Yeah, there's a bunch of... Possibilities, yeah. 40 and 41. Um, although, again, that's pretty common for the word, the demonstratives to be the same thing as third-person pronouns. So yes. We have that. It's pretty common. Um, one thing that I thought was nifty... Um, uh, example 56 on around page 9 is that the locative a preposition does not distinguish goal and source. So to and from are the same and the meaning has to be distinguished by the semantics of the verb um, or you use the words here and there. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see. So you just use the, the, the adverbs of location in apposition with the noun. So the example 58 has he arrived at Kavyang from Rabaul. And, and what you, you effectively... 
you can uh, delete the noun too. Yeah, well, that's because it just means here and there, right? So, yeah, um, thought that was a clever way around that issue. It has a modest inventory of prepositions. Hmm. Um, the really interesting thing, I mean, for the most part, questions were boring. It has in C2 question words. That means the word stays in its normal place in the clause. Um, you know, instead of who did you talk to yesterday, it's you talked to whom yesterday. Um, but for some reason, the question word where is marked for gender and number. Now, that's weird. That's on page I, I 15. Was, yeah, I was noted, noting uh, before that even in the uh, polar questions, they are marked by a, a clause final rising. However, you can add a particle tara to make it a leading question. So, uh, I don't know. That, that sort of interests me that there's a, a formal way to, to make a leading question. And, uh, in this case, it's, um, you, uh, you use the same marking as the, the answer you expect. Sure. Uh, well, that's like, and, that's just like right in English. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, it's it is like right in English. It's just um I don't know. I don't know if their tara means anything else other than that. Uh so No um do you know if in Chinese when you say tuai is it leading at all or is that just actually literally no, saying No, my questions are are leading, but tuai is not supposed to be leading. Mhm. It doesn't show any expected what the what what expectation of what the outcome will be or the answer. No, a uh, uh, verb, uh, verb plus negated verb. I don't think is is showing shows any expectation. I don't know. Yeah, but I was I was saying if you say a statement and then add the tag do do like you know. I don't like know. You are. I don't yeah. know. That's that's something that I I would have to find out. I'm not actually that clear on the the Chinese stuff, but uh, on the Chinese questions. But anyway, that's a little bit. Uh, Outside of what we're talking about today, today we're talking about quote. A bit of a digression. <laughs> yeah, the inevitable Chinese digression. I just thought it was nifty that for some reason where gets marked for gender and number. Yeah, um, why, which by the way is would... singular, dual, and plural. Yes, they have singular, dual, and plural. Uh, gender is masculine, feminine, which actually uh, was interesting to me because it's interesting to see a non-Indo-European language far from. Indo-European or or, or um, Afro-Asiatic languages uh, that had masculine, feminine. Yes, mm. and, it, and it really is a gender system. Things like rivers are feminine, and so on and so forth. It's not. It's it's a proper two gender system. It's not uh, semantic mm. um, right. or, or restricted to humans or anything like that. Um. So I just I just oh, we'll just take this one question word and we'll mark it for some reason. And they give some examples of like you know. Where where are your things? Where did you go? That sort of stuff, and you have this double person marking, which is kind of nifty. Now, what does it agree with exactly? Subject. Subject. Okay, I was just looking. Um, that's that's a that is a very curious thing. Why why you would just pick where to be marked? Are um are demonstratives marked for gender? Yes. Okay, that might explain it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a small number of languages that do very funny agreement things with adverbs. Um, but funny. yeah, it's, it's not clear to me where this comes from in this language. Yeah. Um, 
Panthers. <laughs> George has been stopped. <laughs> this grammar uses your least favorite word. Emphasis. Yeah. Yes. Imperative yes, it does. and prohibitive clauses. Yeah. Uh, talking about whether it's uh, whether whether the imperative is emphatic or not, and uh, I guess that I guess they're referring to some sort of immediacy or something. Uh, right. Um, they distinguish two kinds of negation: one for just um, in uh, standard um, positive clauses, and then or positive clauses, um, indicatives, and then a, a separate negative for imperatives. Again, that's uh -huh. reasonably common in the world's languages. Hmm. Um, I thought the relative clauses were kind of nifty because once again, I run smack into an anadu issue. You would think I would know better by now, but no, I keep <laughs> I keep doing it. Um, <laughs> I uh, so they have relative clauses, fine, but they mark restrictive relative clauses by a relative clause final particle, mm -hmm. which they call a restrictivizer. If you had told me about that a few weeks ago, I'd have squinted my eyes suspiciously. Is, does this occur in a natural language? But no, they have a special particle just to mark um, uh, restrictive relative clauses. And what yes. we mean by that is, are we referring to a specific instance? Hmm. Um, that's yeah, right. It, it, it's, are you are you are you identifying the noun, or are you talking about nouns in general? Right, He's, right. It's a it's it's um, a restrictive any a restrictive adjective or restrictive relative clause restrictive modifier is uh specifically like identifying the noun by right. a characteristic um that is a a very um sort of curious thing um what was there was it a particle you got uh the weather blocked you guys out yeah page sixteen it is a clause final particle huh. yeah i i just i just found that uh looking at it um it's also interesting as we mentioned before that the uh the the uh the regular just relative marker is the same as the subject focused marker but it doesn't seem to cause uh fatal ambiguity so right right so a good one is example 104 on page 16 we have so the 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 relative Clause marker, focus marker is law. So we have man, law, arrived yesterday, law, died today. So that means the man who arrived yesterday died today. Yeah. So the first law is relative clause and the second law mm. is subject focus. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it anywhere near correct. Yeah. Um, and then. I sort of skipped over some of the demonstrative stuff I didn't care about, and now it's for a noun phrase structure because there was nothing there that was particularly remarkable. That um, that particle, the relative, the restrictivizer, the final restrictivizer, mm -hmm. does it have two realizations? And what is, what does that vary on? Did you see? They that? don't say what that is. My guess is it's something gender related, but I didn't tear um dig into it. it. Could be gender related, or it could be. Oh yeah, I guess that makes more sense. I was going to say maybe it's some sort of um harmony because it's there's an the word before had ah, and the other one had eh, but and all don't really match. I, I don't believe vowel harmony applies here. Um, so noun phrase, I didn't care that much. Hmm. I mean, it's fine, whatever. Um, yeah. Um, what was possession was interesting to me. I saw um, they have alienable and inalienable, and there's a little chart 
under possession uh, that shows what um, what things are inalienable, alienable, and unpossessable. Right. So that's an interesting. I think that's an interesting thing for con language to look at to see um, what what um, what possibilities where where you might think about drawing the lines between inalienable and alienable. In this in this case, it's actually kind of um, restrictive. Only body parts are inalienable. Aren't some um, family terms as well, or is it really what page are you looking at, George? Uh, page 33? I'm just looking at the chart. I guess right. the, there might be... It's saying that body parts are inalienable and then kinship terms are alienable. It's possible okay. it poss- It's possible that that boundary is fuzzier than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mentality. that makes sense. It's just, I mean, those are the two classics. Um, of yeah. Kinship term, and- yeah, kinship terms are usually... Uh, in are often inalienable, but in yeah. this case, they're alienable. That's, that's sort of a, a different... And how do they... What is the... Uh, Alien, uh, alienable, alienability of it. Um, like, does it change how you would construct a possessive? Yes, yes, yes. yes. The possessive marking is different, and I believe it's obligatory for um, inalienably possessed nouns must be possessed. Mm. You can't oh, just okay. say you can't just say I. You have to say yes. On page thirty-three, inalienably possessed nouns, generally body parts, are obligatorily possessed. Yeah, and there's an awesome. Also, an awesome chart on page thirty-four that tells shows you all the different um, possessed um, possession markers, and they depend on both the possessor and the possessed. It's mostly for the possessor uh, person, though third person has masculine, feminine, and then uh, depending on what the possessed is, and whether and it agrees with number and gender on that. So. You can have it's um, there's even there's even different ones for inclusive and exclusive uh, first person too. Yeah. So huh. it's a it's a wonderfully like not too complicated but sort of semi semi complex way of marking possession that has has to do with both both sides of the coin, both the possessor and the possessed agreeing yeah. with both of those. Yeah. Um. One thing that I thought was interesting about the pronoun system is that there are three sets of pronouns. Mm-hmm. There's subject pronouns, which aren't used much except for focus. Mm-hmm. There are a special series of benefactive pronouns. Mm-hmm. And there's pronouns that they call intimative. That means things like close to or get along. But what's interesting mm-hmm. about them is you don't have a way to do a bare benefactive noun. You cannot say for my wife. You have to say for her, my wife. So you have to mm-hmm. use the pronoun form and then the appropriate noun. And the same is true with the uh, intimative. So you don't you say you didn't go with my friend. You went with him or with her, my friend. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a neat little sideways thing to have there. I just realized looking back at... Um, uh, at the uh, at the the uh, possession, it's actually the same sort of thing that Spanish does, except that they have singular, dual, and plural rather than just singular and plural. Anyway, moving back back to what you were t- uh, we were talking about. 
So are we ready for the verb? Yes, <laughs> let's talk about the verbs. The verb let's, is great. Let's move so, along. Yes, verbs are always marked for subject, mm-hmm. for person, number, and gender. Um, and most of your transitive verbs are polypersonal. They mark subject and direct object. Ditransitives, that is, I gave the book to Bob, um, encode in the verb the indirect object, not the direct object. Um, and I think that's normal again, because normally the indirect object is going to be higher animacy. We care more to, about who the recipient of an event is that necessarily, I mean, they're typically higher animacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the, the language does not distinguish, uh, past and present. The, the difference is future, non-future. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so some funny things happen in the, we're going to talk about the, the many verb classes. And sometimes the morphology gets confused between future and non-future. Not confused, but there's extra madness to worry about. Mm. And there are various, um, transitivity and uh, aspect affixes I'm just not even going to talk about. (laughs) I mean, they're just just kind of straightforward. So there are seven classes of verbs. Um, Class one verbs have subject prefixes, and those are mostly things like go and so forth, dance. Mm -hmm. Class two has subject suffixes, and those are mostly stative verbs. Okay. Uh, things like, um, see, that's funny. Go with the, yeah. All right. So mostly statements, but then some other just straight up, um, intransitives. Class three uses subject infixes. <laughs> this is really, this is really cool. Right. So we've now had the subject marked by a prefix, a suffix, and an infix. Uh-huh. All right. So once we get to class four, class four is, um, we'll have ditransitive verbs. Or, yeah, just at transitives. Um, and that has subject prefixes and object suffixes, but only in the third person. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right. Class five, which has ditransitives and then just straight up transitive verbs, has subject suffixes and object prefixes, which are <laughs> usually only third person, but not always. Now, uh, complete switcheroo just... between four and five. <laughs> this. It's so weird. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I missed all of this. There, there. When I when I read this earlier, I must have been reading it wrong or something. Is there any like when you were looking over? Do you see any sort of logic on like maybe some some? I don't know if it's a theta role or if it's. Um, I saw no semantic. No semantic thing to give me any clue about why this or that were chosen, except for the transitivity stuff, which I'm already mentioning. But that's very vague. Yeah, it's really weird that you'd have. Bon- you know, bouncing all over the place. Right. Yeah. Class six has subject prefixes and object prefixes, which are available for all persons and numbers. Right. Um, but the order is first the object, then the subject, then the verb stem. Okay. Uh-huh. And then finally is class seven, which has a whopping three verbs, <laughs> which has subject infixes and object prefixes, again, available for all persons. And if you're curious, the verbs are help, change, and wait for. Yes. And what I have not mentioned through any of these is most of these verb classes have one or two verbs that are mostly in this class, but might have one or two bits of irregularity, which are all discussed in the grammar. Huh. I'm reading on generalizations on it right now. They're they're a little 
weird, but it's nice to know at least they can make some generalizations. Did you guys see on that 4.2.1.8? Yeah. Um... Basically, it says uh, when related morphemes differ in that one ends with an ng, and one does not, the the form with a final ng is future or transitive. Then it says, second, if the object agreement is marked with a suffix, then the subject is marked with a prefix. And then third, that... if they're both prefixed, then the object precedes the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the final ng might be... Uh... The final angla may 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 just be the the remnant of a a no longer productive derivational process or something. Yeah. Uh, that's but that's interesting. So verbs are wacky in this language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, this, I mean, little bits. The 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 five hundred verbs book for this language is probably very useful. Um, <laughs> Uh, I wonder if there's any way to um, have a notion of what uh, what class of verb would be, or if it's something that just must be memorized, like, uh, yeah, it's very arbitrary, I wonder. Except for the fact that transitive and ditransitive verbs have to be in cla- one of classes four through seven, mm-hmm. because those mark both subject and object. Apart from that, no. And apparently it says <laughs> statives fall in... Class two, but then there were several verbs in class two when I looked at the examples that did not look particularly stative to me. So, yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so statives may fall into class two, but not all class two verbs are statives. How about that? uh, I I really wonder what kind of crazy historical processes produced this, but uh, me too. Obviously, since since there's not much um, known about. This relation, this language's relationships to other languages, then probably hard to figure that out. Yeah, we have Um, no to compare to find out what's going on. Yeah. Do you guys? um, mm -hmm. uh, What do you say? I was going to say, have you guys seen this type? Maybe not to this degree, but this type of um, incoherency among conjugations. Usually, I've seen if it's suffixes, they're mostly all suffixes. If they're uh, prefixes, then I presume they'll all be prefixes. That would be a question for William because William knows lots of exotic. Languages, I I have never seen anything like this. Uh, uh, this is why I picked this language. <laughs> I was just looking through it because it seemed interesting, and then once I got to the verbs, there was sort of this slowly developing sense of horror and wonder. The yes. only thing that I, As I realized what was going on, because really, I mean, class four has subject prefixes and object suffixes, but class five has subject suffixes and object prefixes. What on yeah. earth produced this? There, there may have been at some point in the past a system that explains this. So you get some languages that might, um, you know, do something like, I, you know, I'm not even going to say it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I in terms say, of having yeah. sometimes prefixes and sometimes suffixes among, say, intransitives, you might have, you know, fluid s kinds of trickery going on. Is it yeah. un, unergative or, or you know, there, there may be other things going on there, unaccused mm-hmm. rather. Um, yeah. So you can sort of once you have that sort of thing going on, then you can sort of run with it. Yeah. Um, but this sort of mix, no, I, I, I cannot. I can say that I have never seen anything quite like this before. And yeah, the closest thing I've seen is um, you know just whether something uses conjugation on the verb or if it has a helping verb, like English uses. You know, there's um, for the future we kind of use the um, auxiliary verb, modal verb, kind of help. But that's nowhere near the the, the you know crazy bag full of hammers this is yeah yeah, yeah. this bag full of hammers <laughs> okay that's about how logical it is <laughs> uh well 
I think that's probably, honestly, the verb system is probably the single biggest point of sort of inspiration you can draw from this. Because even if you don't want to get so, like, crazy irregular as this language is, Mm -hmm. um, you may want to think about, okay, maybe I have several different classes of verbs that have different um, marking and maybe I want to mix up both prefixes and suffixes. Or and infixes. Maybe... This, is the, yes. I, this is the first time I've seen infixes do things, usually derivationally. This is the first language that has thoroughgoing sort of basic agreement morphology happening in infixing. Um, was true. not V infixes, or is that something different? What? Not V. Are those considered infixes, or are they considered... Okay, um, not V does have infixes, but that's a conlang, right? So that yeah, that I was I was leaving out. But this language is even more robust, more robustly um, infixing than even not V. Well, what, where yeah. I was going with that, I wasn't sure where the inspiration went to use uh, infixing and not V was. No, I... Paul Fromer, in fact, was concerned that his degree of infixing was unnatural. Okay. <laughs> 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 I wonder, uh, I should maybe... Is... I wonder if anyone's told him about this, because now he can relax. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a relief, because this way I don't have, you know, I'm like, look, there are there are interesting, crazy things that are even stranger than I could have dreamed up in real net lines. Yes, and, and humans can learn it, so it's fine. Yes, Yeah. apparently. So, it, it works. Um, Maybe that's why there are so few native speakers left. <laughs> no! <laughs> no okay, kidding. no, there's... The... I know, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm not being serious. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, that that's fine. It's just people will jump on you for that because no, there, there are there are lots of other reasons for I'm, I'm okay. yes. But anyway, I think is there anything else interesting about this language that we want to uh, talk about while my uh, my phone, phone tries to to uh, play an alarm. All right. Uh, you, so you say... there was only there was one last thing that I thought was interesting in the language, uh-huh. which is back. Go back to page fifty-eight. Um, is no, well, starting on page fifty-seven, but fifty-eight. Their demonstrative system uh-huh. has a number of interesting distinctions. So we have near and far, fine, here, there, masculine, feminine, big deal. But on the top of page fifty-nine, we have far, near, and very near demonstratives for things that are higher elevation. Or lower elevation, mm-hmm. things that are from the sea or in the direction of sunrise, or things that are in the direction of sunset. That's interesting. Although for far away or for far, the from sunrise or sunset are the same. Yes. But as you get closer, they're more different, or yes. they you know yeah. are more dissimilar. That's so that was the last thing that really aroused my attention. I always like to see fun, fun little distinctions being made in your demonstrative system that you might not I expect. Guess, um, High and low elevation kind of makes sense for a mountainous area, too. It does. It does indeed. Um, and obviously, sunrise and from the sea are... Why exactly do they... I guess, obviously, um, the sunrise is in the sea where these people live. They're in the, on the eastern I would guess, part of... I would guess, I would guess that's what that means. But, uh, um, what would happen, I wonder, in this kind of language, if they were to go somewhere where the sun set... On the sea. It's not a con language. It's not lang. <laughs> I know it's a yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know what would happen. They'd have to make some sort of adjustment. That that's precisely. Oh, what you I was said wondering. this. This kind of language is what you said. Oh, yes. Yeah. This um, kind of language. Yeah. Well, 
I should have said at the start, this is a Nat Lang, but I guess people probably <laughs> figured this out. But um, yes, this um, it is a, a um, it, so basically as we usually do when we cover Nat Langs, we're we're looking for lots of things that can inspire you to make some some fun systems in your conlang and this has a lot of stuff that you can uh, borrow i think right and what's yes. good about especially the silgrammers is they are in most parts pretty darn good about giving examples so you can hear about a crazy deictic system like this but if you if you have no examples then you might not be entirely clear how things are supposed to be used yeah. Um, so it's nice to have good examples of a natural language using this thing so you can, you know, mull it over a little bit in live natural text before you try to borrow it into your language um, and do that with a little bit more understanding with some idea of the effects it's going to have. Okay. And that, to be sure that you are actually understanding the, the thing being, you know, the feature altogether. Okay. So, yeah. So take a look at the grammar. Uh, look at all the, uh, things that we mentioned, take a look at, uh, you know, page through it and, and see what stuff. There's a lot of things that actually are, are not terribly exotic too. So it's sort of like, uh, showing that, yeah, uh, you can, you can have that things that aren't, you, you, it doesn't have to be all wacky, crazy, uh, um, fluid S alignment either. But yeah, right. to be an interesting language, but you know, it's got wacky verbs. Um, it does, uh-huh. and it's only and the grammar is only seventy-five pages. This is very digestible, and I think very approachable for even someone without you know an extensive linguistics background. Yeah, I, right. The, I was, the the sill the sill grammars are meant to be read by, you know, missionaries. Uh, missionaries, right? So high high powered um, linguistics talk is typically avoided in these. Yeah. Um I think we can wrap up the the, the uh, discussion. I will say we have no feedback today. Uh at least not no emails. Uh those go to conlanger at gmail dot com. Uh we do have had a lot of interesting comment discussions in the comments on the site, so yeah. people might want to, you know, page through and check out those. Uh, yeah, especially if you get the the podcast only through iTunes, you might want to pop on the website sometimes to see the conversations there. Yeah, and um, oh, I should have checked iTunes for reviews, but I don't think there are any new ones. Uh, uh, keep keep also keep the uh, top of the show greetings coming because uh, I don't want to run out of those again. <laughs> I almost <laughs> I almost had a show that didn't have one, but. Uh, uh, Bianca came through and made one in like ten minutes. So, <laughs> uh, hey, <Bianca. laughs> we need to get her back on the show for like a as a, like a guest spot or something. Sometimes sure. that would be cool. Um, she she was because I was talking to her. She said she 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 uh she hates the fact that when she listens to us, she uh can't talk back. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I'm going to wrap this up by asking, William, what are your final words of wisdom today? I am without wisdom today. I have too much, too little sleep. Yes, too little sleep and too much partying. And, uh, Mike? Um, I would say take, you know, um, as I always say, you know, 
feel free to do crazy things, and this is a perfect example of, you know, just because it's not regular doesn't mean it's, you know, bad or anything, and you can be as crazy as you can imagine, but there are still crazier out there. <laughs> there so. are crazier fish in the sea? Yes, exactly, crazier fish in the sea. So, with that, I think that's uh, my words of wisdom. Take them to heart and online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to say happy Conlangery. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society and our theme music is by Null Device.